Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. In honor of National Women's Month, we celebrated women innovators and the heroes in travel, the lessons they learned and can help us apply. First up, my conversation with writer Jane Zangline, the author of The Girl Explorers, the untold story of the globetrotting women who trekked, flew, and fought their way around the world. Some great trailblazing stories of women who paved the way for others in the world of travel. Then we'll switch gears and talk about some practical travel matters with Dr. Kiona, the author of How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. Yes, you heard me correctly. How's that for a provocative title? It got our attention, and she'll get yours. And finally, my conversation with Katherine Powell, the global head of hosting at Airbnb. She'll talk about how the company pivoted during the pandemic and report about the 180,000 women around the world who began hosting during COVID-19 and what this really means. First up, Jane Zangline. If you follow Women's History, and of course Women's History Month, you might come across this book. It's a very cool book because they really are stories you haven't heard before. Uh, the author of Girl Explorers, the untold story of the globetrotting women who trekked, flew, and yes, fought their way around the world. Jane Zangline. Hello, Jane. Hi, Peter. I should call you Professor Zangline. I apologize. No, She's a no, professor. No, 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 I no, did it no, anyway. formality. <laughs> So let's talk about some of these untold stories because, you know, many many Americans, at least if they're history buffs, are familiar with Amelia Earhart, and they're familiar with some of the uh, the women who you know the wax who fought in World War II. Uh, but your book goes way beyond that. Yes, yeah, a lot of women who were overlooked um, were members of the Society of Women Geographers, and I was really excited to find out more about them. And so, Amelia Earhart, notwithstanding, you put Margaret Mead in that in, in that category as well, even Eleanor Roosevelt. 
Right, right. But there were a lot of people who who you never heard about before. For example, uh, Ava Hamilton Singer had traveled to 187 countries, and she lived in 18 countries for more than a year. And then in the 30s, she became obsessed with Africa, and she traveled all around Africa in a car alone, 110,000 miles zigzagging across Africa. Well, let's well let's give this some context. What year did she do 188 countries? Um, it was before 1940. Now think about the infrastructure that was there or wasn't at that time. Right. Think of what it was like to be a I mean, we have, you know, we have stories today about women traveling alone in some pretty un- unusual and and uh, threatening environments. This had to be a brave new world for everybody, male or female, but she did it. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the misconceptions, I think, about women travelers in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, People thought they traveled with their husbands all the time. Uh, She was a widow, and uh, she traveled alone. She had no porters, no guides, and she just traveled in this car. She wore out three cars traveling through Africa. Well, in those days, you would have got you would have worn out three cars traveling through New Jersey. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, because it, it was a learning experience for the manufacturers as well. But when she came back, what did she do with all her information? Well, she filmed. She she got like sixty thousand feet of film, and um, and and they were in color, which was really unusual at that time. I thought, you know, The Wizard of Oz was the first color film. But um, so she went on a lecture circuit. And is that film available today? I, you know, there might be clips of it, but really, it, it, uh, there's not much known about this woman. Wow, amazing! And what about a woman named Blair? Ah, uh, I love Blair. <laughs> she was my favorite, and and the book is written from her perspective. Um, she was the founder of the Society of Women Ge- Geographers, and she was uh, the reason I loved her is she was a woman with compassion and tolerance, and yet she was born on a on a plantation with freed slaves. And I just wondered what would it take to have a woman who was a Southern belle turn out to be an advocate for blacks and gays. And once again, we're we're talking decades ago. Oh, uh, yeah, a hundred years ago. Right. 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 She she wrote the first compassionate book about gays and talked about gay profiling in 1930. Talk about being ahead of her time. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, was. really amazing. Exactly. Right. And. So let me ask you this. In, in, the, in the course of researching this book, we're talking to Jane Zangline, the author of Girl Explorers, the untold story of the globetrotting women who trekked, flew, and fought their way around the world. In the process of researching this book, where did you travel to? Oh, I traveled to 12 countries. Um, I traveled through South America to French Guiana, uh, Suriname, British Guiana, Peru, and Ecuador, following in Blair's footsteps. Um, and that was really interesting. I would read books about, I would read her books as I went along this trek. And then I also went to, uh, you know, maybe seven countries in um, Asia. Probably the most exciting places I went to, she had gone to this Dayak house, which Dayaks were a tribe of headhunters in Borneo. And she had visited their longhouse. And I was actually able to take a longboat to a longhouse and stay overnight with Dayaks and watch them dance the same way she did. I also went to the the penal colony in French Guiana. 
um, which she wow. wrote about. Everybody knows it because of Papillon, but she yeah. was the first woman to visit there, and she exposed the horrors of the prison in such a way. Of she wrote a best-selling book, which became a, um, a Hollywood film, and pressured the French government to close down the prison system. And all because and all because one woman traveled to a destination that nobody else had gone to. That's right. That's right. You know. It, you know. It's power. interesting, Jane. It's interesting because. There's a book I highly recommend that most people don't know was written by the gentleman I'm about to tell you by a man named Mark Twain. And we're not talking about Huckleberry Finn. We're talking about a book called The Innocence Abroad. And they've just reprinted it. It's available. You can see the book. You can get the book. And it was about his trips around the world in the 1800s going to places that nobody could ever get to. And yes, what's, yeah. And what's interesting about his book, and I, I suppose it would also be about Blair's book as well, is that what is he liking on these trips and what is he complaining about? And what he's complaining about over 100 years ago, almost 150 years ago, is what we still complain about today. He was complaining about hotels that were nickel and diming him and charging him for a candle or a bar of soap the way we today get mad at hotels for charging us for a bottle of water. <laughs> they've, just changed the, uh, they've just changed the equation. Listen, a great idea to read this book. And, of course, most importantly, a great idea to learn from this book. The name of the book again, Girl Explorers, the untold story of the globetrotting women who trekked, flew, and fought their way around the world. My thanks to Jane. It's been said the best revenge is living well. But what about traveling well, or conversely, not traveling badly? I check in with Dr. Kiona, who may just have the answer. She's the founder of How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. My next guest has got a great podcast, which I love the title of it, How Not to Travel. Sort of reminds me of my uh, a book I did a couple of years ago called Don't Go There. And she's the founder of how not to travel like a basic bitch. <laughs> you can't get any more direct than that. Dr. Kiona, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You got it. Now, you're in Austin, Texas. That's where you're based. But you're all over the world, at least until last year, right? Yes. I'm actually currently still all over the world. but <laughs> Exactly. So tell me more about how you can travel not like a BB. Um, so I just want to preface that I was maybe partially drunk when I made this name. Um, I was just talking with my best friend and we had come back from a trip and I was like drinking a bottle of wine. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to start a blog called How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch because I'm just so sick of these people um, walking around with so much privilege and trampling over nature and the local population, etc. And then I didn't realize it was going to catch <laughs> and spread like wildfire. Um, so now it's yeah, that's what I have. It's no longer a blog. I just stream educational lessons on Instagram. I have, you know, a line of products now. So, um, but basically the the premise of it is how to walk gently in the places that we visit and learn from the people that we meet rather than, you know, impose ourselves on not even our lands or, um, and, and, and to come as guests, not as people who are entitled to spaces that we don't own. And, you know, you mentioned the word entitlement. I have the same issue with that as you do. In the 60s and 70s, they were called the ugly Americans. Now they're like the, the entitled Americans um, who think it's, you know, it's their, it's, it, you know, most of my friends, I have to say this, 
if Los Angeles were being invaded by outer space aliens and there was only one plane to get them out, they would be having an argument at the counter going, but I wanted a window seat. And, <laughs> and no, the, the concept at that point is, please, get on the plane. Just get out. And they'd, be end, they'd end up being eaten by the aliens because they wanted an upgrade. They forget the idea of why we travel in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talk about walking gently, but that, but that presumes that Americans actually are geographically ig- are not ignorant, that they are situationally aware and culturally sensitive. Isn't that a big ask these days? It seems like it is a big ask, and people get very defensive when you say, like, hey, this is hurting somebody, or hey, you could probably do this better. Um, it's just met with a lot of resistance rather than understanding. So, you know, I, I hope that our world moves more towards, like, empathetic dialogue and conversations, and that we listen to the people that we're, you know, visiting or on their land. Um, but for some reason, it's <laughs> such a defensive topic. So what would you say is, is probably the classic biggest mistake American travelers make? Well, I don't think it's just Americans. It's Australians. It's Europeans. They can all be trashy. Um, but the thing that bugs me the most when I'm traveling, especially in, like, um, in countries who don't have a high GDP, is negotiating or arguing over like 50 cents. I'm like, why are you arguing with this you know, local artisan who has spent hours crafting this um, purse, for example, and you, it's like the purse is already $2 and you're trying to negotiate with her to bring it down to $1.50. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that to me is so basic. Like, what are you doing? And like, you will spend $5 on a coffee at Starbucks, but can't spend, you know, 50 cents more on like a handmade artisan bag. Exactly. I mean, look, that gets down to sensitivity of the culture as well. Exactly. (laughs) And, and of course, there's language difficulty because, you know, I'm always amazed at how many foreigners can speak more than one language. Americans don't. Yes. We don't. No. And and I'll give you a quote, and you can steal it from me if you want, because I stole it from somebody else, all right? And the yeah, quote okay. is, the true definition of ignorance is not the absence of knowledge, but the conscious decision not to acquire it. Yes. I love that. Yeah, I agree. And, um Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying, and, and that seems to define so many American travelers who should know better, literally. Yes, exactly. And Google University is free. You can easily Google all of the questions that you have or any local customs. All of that has been uploaded to the internet. It's all accessible from our phone. Why people don't choose to use it, I have no idea. Um, but I also think that that showcases like a mindset, right? Like, I don't need to know this because there's no repercussion for the American the ugly American or the basic, as I would call them, um, because like they, the local populations aren't, um, don't have the power to say no when they need the tourism money. So I think it's like people like us who have to hold people accountable where it's like, hey, you can't do that. My thanks to Dr. Kiona. Now, it might surprise you to learn that more than half of the new hosts at Airbnb are women, and they've already earned $600 million since the pandemic began. My conversation with Catherine Powell, who has the intriguing title of Global Head of Hosting at Airbnb. You know, if you go back and look where we were a year ago, a year ago this weekend, I mean, we were just being hit with this unknown virus. We were starting to lock down and then lock down some more. And cities were becoming ghost towns and hotel occupancies dropped by 70 or 80 percent. And that's the hotels that were open. Uh, Airlines were cutting back. 
Um, I mean, you name it. Cruise ships were idled at an anchor. Uh, and the world changed as the hospitality industry especially was turned inside out and upside down. One aspect of the hotel industry or the hospitality industry that was on a huge arc, uh, one of the fastest growing segments of the hospitality industry was Airbnb. And joining me now, the global head of hosting at Airbnb, Catherine Powell. Catherine, first of all, I love that title. I want your title. I want to be global head of hosting. Uh, well, sadly, because I'm global, you can't have it, but I love my title as well. <laughs> so let's talk about Airbnb because when this first happened, of course, the major hotel brands uh, were very upfront, uh, partnering with major medical institutions and scientists and coming up with cleaning and antiseptic protocols and, and behavioral changes, service changes, physical floor plan changes. I mean, all the things that they could do with what they had. Um, what did Airbnb do? Yeah, it was it was a challenging time for me to join a, a travel company, certainly just, just before the pandemic. Um, and I mean, one of the things when I joined, I was actually working for Experiences. Airbnb had, had two businesses, Homes and Experiences. I joined as, as head of Experiences in January and two months later, we had to suspend our experiences. And one of the things we did there was we worked with our experience hosts to pivot to online experiences. But the business, as you just said, hospitality travel turned upside down. We were looking into an abyss. I mean, it was how are we going to survive and how are we going to help our hosts? So first thing we did was actually a series of listening sessions. I think we listened to over 3,000 hosts during those stages of the pandemic and how we were going to help them and guests feel safe. And so one of the things that we also pivoted very quickly was to uh, introduce a cleaning protocol that we devised with experts as well. And we helped our hosts implement that. The other thing that we did with, with our hosts was really try to understand how are guests traveling now? How are things changing? And how could we help hosts adapt to that? So we were seeing guests who were travel, who felt safe enough to travel, were traveling nearby, they were traveling longer, they were looking for Wi-Fi because they were working and schooling from home, they were traveling with pets. So we would share these insights. We created product of the insight hubs, which share the insights with, with hosts so that they could adapt to this new world. And, you know, that's a, that's a big undertaking considering that most of the hosts didn't have that kind of experience before. No, it was well, none of us had this experience before. None of us knew exactly what to expect. I mean, as I said, you go into lockdown, that's not a great place to be for a travel industry. So it was it was about it was about focus, but it was about being agile and being able to adapt. And one of the amazing thing with our hosts is that, you know, these are individual people and they are incredibly adaptable and resilient. You know, what's interesting to me is that it's not really what people are talking about, it's what they're thinking about. And if you go back to 9-11, what they were thinking about was they wanted to travel. They just didn't feel safe and they wanted their security blanket. And even now, I mean, what I'm hearing from people when they're finally being honest with me is, oh, do they want to travel? You bet. But they don't want to go somewhere and get stuck and be unable to get home. Um, they, they want their security blanket in a different way. So what was the security blanket you offered your guests? I think it was the, the key thing that we've seen from our guests has been that they, as you just said, they want to travel, they want to feel safe, and they want to connect. I mean, this is 
this is a time of immense loneliness and, and isolation. And I think what, what, our, what we've been able to do and what our hosts have been able to do is provide this connection, this connection and belonging is the heart of Airbnb's values and, and our mission. And I think being able to do this, our hosts being able to welcome guests in, in homes where they felt safe, outdoors so they could they could be with families that was what we've provided and continue to provide for guests during this incredibly difficult time now of course we saw in the cities so many people leaving cities and and i mean families moving out to the suburbs and out to the to the shorelines uh but you have a lot of airbnb hosts in the cities and we saw city hotels being particularly challenged i'm assuming you found the same thing happening with your hosts in those cities it's been incredibly challenging for for cities, and and we've seen many many people, many colleagues. I mean, I know that that I have taken the opportunity to to spend some time in the country, and so that's what that's what we've seen, and that's what our hosts in in um, non-urban, in rural destinations where they've been basically able to kind of ho- offer hospitality and hosting for those who are people are feeling less tethered. People are feeling less tethered now. They are more flexible about where they stay and for how long that they can stay. This is why I think we've, we've seen the appeal um, of Airbnbs and how we've been able to respond. As I said, we see travel and living blurring. We see people really living, being able to live their lives on an Airbnb, work from home, school from home. And so that's, that's how, as I said, that's how we've kind of, these insights are what we've been sharing with our hosts so that they can address those needs. So what lessons have you learned as we're moving forward as we seem to be turning the corner, more and more people getting vaccinated, uh, more and more future bookings starting to be much more robust? Uh, what trends are you seeing moving forward now? Well, if I think about the lessons, your, your, your first question about lessons learned, I think, I think we've all learned a huge amount this past year. We've learned, you know, crisis from Airbnb's point of view, crisis has made us focus. And focus has been, for us has been getting back to what's core to Airbnb, to hosting. And I think what, what our community, our host community have learned is how to innovate. Uh, the, the pivot of our experience host pivoting to online experiences has been one example and this resilience of how our hosts have been able to adapt to the changing behaviors and needs from guests. I think, I think one thing I've, I've learned is in a crisis, you want to know who you want to be in a foxhole with. And I want to be in a foxhole with our hosts because they are, their, their strength and creativity and resilience has been incredible. And I think going forward, I think that, that when people can travel internationally, you talked about that, you talked about June. I mean, I know that when, I, when, I, when it's safe to travel, I'm going to be on an aeroplane visiting my family in, in the UK who I haven't seen for well over a year now. Yeah. And I think there are millions of people like me. My thanks to Catherine, to Dr. Fiona, and to Jane Zangline. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and it's really ramping up these days, just log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.